0: you have your Bibles, we're in the book of 1 John, chapter 3. We are working our way through the book of 1 John, verse by verse. Um, last week we talked about practicing sin and practicing righteousness. And also, you got a uh, bookmarks in the pew in front of you, and we actually replenished those. So if you didn't get one last week, you can check it out this week. Um, It kind of applies to today's message as well. Um, But last week we talked about we are God's children and that we should be excited for Jesus' return because Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen. And our response needs to be like a woo or a hooray of some kind. Yes, thank you. Uh, And it should, like we talked about last week, it should bring excitement. So after he talks about that, he kind of flushes this out a little bit and as we know that john as we talked about before john in the book of first john is talking about false teachers in the church that were going around teaching so he said today is about like here's how you could tell who's a believer here's how you could tell who isn't a believer who's part of our camp and who isn't a part of our camp in regards to like salvation so it says this in first john three four everyone Who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, that is Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Okay? So before we break down and unpack this passage, um, a couple things. This verse talks a lot about sin, and you might be hearing, like, what is sin? What exactly are we talking about? We talk about sin. Um, The good definition that we get is, um, for what is sin, is breaking God's law Breaking, not breaking, no, God's law, that was my typo. Breaking God's law in the law of Christ or rebellion against God. So breaking God's law the law of Christ, um, it's an offense against God, okay? And so many people talk about, well, what are we supposed to obey? What are we not supposed to obey? Well, the Bible talks about two, two parts. Like there's, in the Old Testament, there is this moral law, which you see in the Ten Commandments, right? Obey your mother and father, do not lie, do not murder. Like that's kind of the moral law which is existed up until and through today. And then in the Old Testament, there's also like the ceremonial law which was done away with at the, at the coming of Christ. So it's saying we do not have to, we can eat whatever we want. There's no like dietary restrictions. There's like, those are a lot of ceremonial laws that were meant to set apart Israel from other nations. So like you couldn't wear a certain clothing, you know, that had like blended material. You couldn't eat pork. All of those are free today because of christ amen and it's really about acts of sin the moral law which is the old testament and like the ten commandments that we still need to keep today there's also the law of christ the law of christ is described as loving the lord your god with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself and that's it sums up the law of christ and so and it's any type of rebellion against god um in the bookmarks ahead of you is from colossians 3 it talks about how to practice sin or how to practice righteousness or how not to practice sin. And it says, put off these things or put on these things. And so it, it kind of helps you too um, from Colossians in those bookmarks. Um, and so the other question is, is what does practicing sin mean? Okay, what does practicing sin mean? It means um, regular habits of sin without repentance. It's people who just either live in sin without any regard for repentance or they they do the same sin without any uh remorse or any asking for forgiveness so it's, it's more of a, a regular habits of sin without any type of repentance um so the first part first john 3 4 through 6 says this everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or known him. So here's the bold fact from today's verse, and, it's, and, and let this sink in. If you practice sin, you probably do not have faith in Christ. Okay? Now he's saying like regular habit of sin without any repentance, and that's kind of the thing. If, if you keep on sinning without any remorse, without any repentance, you probably do not have faith in Christ. If you live in sin, habitual practice, without any repentance, there's a chance that that person might not be a Christian. And he wanted them to identify that. We'll talk about that later. So what if I sin? You might be asking, okay, I sin, and I feel like I sin all the time. Um, and if, if you're saying that, you're not alone, because as long as we're on this earth, we are going to fall into sin because we have the flesh working against us, we have the world working against us, we have the, the enemy who's always tempting us, and we're going to fall into sin. And John knew this when he wrote this. So a couple of verses earlier, he says this in 1 John 1, 1.9. I think it'll be up here too. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John, when he wrote this, it wasn't like he's saying that if you're a believer, you're never going to sin. He's saying if somebody is practicing sin, their faith should be put in question, okay? And hold that thought because we'll get to that later. But he knew that we were going to sin. He says if you, can, if you sin or when you sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And we need to understand that too. Um, Jesus had no sin. He never wants sin. So if we abide in him, we literally can't habitually sin without it being a torture to our soul, and we, the Holy Spirit inside of us is going to push us towards repentance and push us to forgiveness. So John continues to flesh this out in the next verse, in verses uh, 7 through 9. He says, little children, which is what he calls the church, he said, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And he's referring back to like Adam and Eve when... The tempter was in the garden, and he was led Adam and Eve astray. So the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So this shows that there is enmity between God and the devil, right? There are—the devil is God's enemy, all right, so that's, that's important to know. You know, in the grand scheme of theology, um, God isn't afraid of the devil. He sent Jesus to destroy his work, and as we talked about, he destroyed the devil's work on the, when Jesus died on the cross. The um, the devil and his demons are afraid of God. It's important to know that the devil and God are not equal in power. They're not like in this power struggle of good and evil, and like you know, they're equal. Um, God is God and the devil is a fallen angel. Does that make sense? They're not on the same playing field. Um, And so you think, like, how does the devil have this power? Um, The devil has power on earth because when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave the devil dominion of the earth, which is what we call the title deed of the earth when Adam and Eve sinned. God told Adam and Eve, you take dominion over the whole earth. God gave them the keys to the house and said, you rule the earth. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed the keys and the deed over to the devil. And that's why the devil is the ruler of this air. He's the ruler of the world. And when Jesus came back and died on the cross, he defeated the devil and defeated sin, and he made a way. But we're in the portion of time, which is called the church age, where Satan is defeated but he still has temporary dominion over the earth, and there'll be a time when Jesus returns and fully takes back the earth and reigns on earth. Amen? Did somebody start clapping to that? Because you guys could like clap to that, because I mean, when that day comes, you may not realize it now, but when that day comes and Jesus is sitting on the throne here on earth, which we call in eschatology the millennial reign of Christ, That means, will Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth, and he will rule here for a thousand years with peace, and and Satan will be bound up for a thousand years, and Jesus will just be in charge, and he will rule. And then after that, the kingdom come, and then it will be the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever. Amen? Amen. That is so good. So Satan, the devil's on borrowed time, and the only reason he has power is because we gave him the deed. And even though Jesus defeated him, he left and said, I'm coming back to take it back permanently one day. So that was a big lead in to um, Satan has been, uh, he's been sinning from the beginning. And it says here um, if you practice righteousness, you're a child of God. If you try to live according to Galatians 3 on your you know, like according to that and try to live for Jesus, you are a child of God. And if you practice sin without repentance, you are a child of the devil. So here's a good point about men and women who are following Jesus. Um, It says you are either part of God's camp or you're part of Jesus' camp. And he's saying— this is important to realize that because when he says you're children of the devil, he's like you're you're part of that community. You're, if you're children of God, you're part of that community, um, and it's important to realize for salvation that those when God when we tell people about Jesus, it's not like we say sometimes like, "Will you please just give Jesus a chance?" It's really the way of looking at salvation as before. We come to God for salvation. We are an enemy. We are in the devil's camp. We are an enemy of God. And we are telling people, you have an opportunity to have all your sins forgiven and be adopted into God's family. Jesus is not like that desperate prom date that just wants you to, like he needs you so, like Jesus gave you a way to have your sins forgiven. And it is an amazing privilege that unrepentant sinners should say yes to. Like, oh my God, literally, oh my God, I could have all my sins forgiven. Where do I sign up? I'm sorry, God. I sinned against a holy and righteous God. I no longer want to be your enemy. I want to be your child. Does that make sense, the difference there between what we say? Like, you know, if you want to give Jesus a chance, try Jesus. It's like there ain't no trying Jesus or giving Jesus a chance. Jesus died on the cross so you could have salvation, and it's such an amazing gift but it's all him, and we just accept it, and we just say, yes, God. Um, so why is it important, like, to, like, to, back then, there is these jokers going around, like, teaching a false gospel, and they were, there was truth, there was the apostles going around teaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and then there's these jokers going around teaching, like, the false gospel, and he's saying, Here's how you know who's right and not. Like, these guys that are living in sin, they're not part of our family, right? And so you need to identify who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. And he's telling the church, even in this passage, we have to be able to identify who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. So in today's age, why is it important to be able to distinguish between who's a Christian and who's not a Christian? Like, what application would you have for that? And you don't have to answer out loud, but just think about it for a second. Identifying people's faith is important, and why is identifying people's faith important? Well, I have six, and there, there might be more. The first one is this, is who is teaching you? Who is teaching you? If you are part of a small group, um, if you, if you're pastor of your church, um, any of these things, it's important to be identify people's faith. Is like, who is teaching you? Where are you hearing this? The second is, um, who are you dating? Who are you dating? Is the person you're dating part of the family of God? Because if they're not part of, if they're not a child of God, in this verse it says what? They're a child of the devil. There's not like this in between. They're a pretty good person. Like there's no such thing as a pretty good person. Like you're either like following Jesus and you're a sinner saved by grace, or you're an enemy of God and you're a child of the devil. (laughs) Does that make sense? And so I think it's so important when I was a youth pastor, and even Brian now, I know him as a youth pastor, when these young young kids start dating at like, you know, high school or 18, 19, 20, or even in their 20s, and they have a new boyfriend or new girlfriend, the first thing we say is, do they love Jesus? And they're like, well, they're a pretty good person. They might, it's like, no, we can't, we can't do that. Um, So it's important to know as Christians, there is no option we have to date, people who love Jesus because it's going to destroy your marriage one day if you don't. That make sense? Is that, is that fair to say? If it isn't, I could tell you a few stories because I know so many people whose husband loves Jesus and the wife wants nothing to do with Jesus and it ends up putting a wedge in their marriage and it ends up being a very hard marriage and vice versa. Okay, I'll go through the next ones quick because I'm short on time. Uh, who is dating your kids? Who is dating your kids um, and what counsel you give your kids when they start dating them? Who do you go into business with? You're thinking about starting a business. Who do you go into business with? Who you make your best friend? Who is like, the per- like the, your one closest best friend and who you make your best friend? And who do you choose to be an elder of your church? Because if you're a member, a partner here at J-Road, you get a chance of voting on who becomes an elder. And this is a way to identify like where people are at. And this is why these verses are given to us. And you might think, well, does it matter who we go into business with? I think, yes, it does. Whoever you bind your life with and going into marriage, going into business, going into like, like a serious friendship or whatever, like roommates, whatever you say, I believe that they have to be believers. And 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, Do not be what? Unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship is light with darkness and that applies for dating for marriage for business for you know whatever it may be what you know do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers and so this last part first john 3 10 11 goes like this by this it is evident because you're able to identify by this it is evident who are children of god And who are children of the devil whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God and the one who does not love his brother for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another here is the crescendo of this entire passage here is the climax of this entire passage that John is trying to build out how the community of God is recognized versus how the community of the devil is recognized love for one's brother is the true test of righteousness he goes through all of this if you're practicing righteousness you're practicing and he's saying like the true test of all of this is summed up in this one thing do you love your brother or sister and that is one of the true tests of righteousness the author is not stressing absolute moral conformity because while we still have these bodies of flesh we are always going to fall into sin, and it stinks. It's it's horrible. It's part of life of always repenting to God, our Savior, and it's kind of like our marriages. I don't know about you, but I have to say I'm sorry to my wife a couple times a day. And <laughs> our job as husband and wife, and to have a good marriage, is that we're always walking that balance. I'm sorry I did this. You're, so, and we we always work that out. And there's, you know, I'm never going to be perfect, and she understands that. <laughs> Thankfully, she has Jesus as her foundation because I would make a horrible foundation. But he's not stressing absolute moral conformity or sinless perfection, but the one requirement by which all other requirements are measured is love for one's brother. Love for one's brother. Glenn Barker, um, who probably none of you know, but he wrote one of the commentaries I use, um, and I I really like his commentaries. Um, He's not really famously known, but I think he breaks it down well. He says this in the commentary for this. For this section and I, I just wrote the quote down that's not on the screens he says for this there is no substitute it's he's talking about love for your brother he's saying for this there is no substitute its violation allows for no excuse its application permits no compromise here there are no gray areas there's no third possibilities one either loves his brother and proves he is God's child or does not love his brother and proves he belongs to the devil And I think that goes with forgiving your brothers, forgiving your sisters, loving your brothers, loving your sisters. That is the one thing we should strive for in our pursuit of righteousness. Because you can get sexual immorality down, you can get whatever down, filthy language, lying, stealing, everything down. And if you do not love your brother, you've missed the point. It all, we have to be, Pursuing love or brother and it starts with you guys loving each other here. Well forgiving each other well and uh, Taking care of each other so as the worship teams come forward um, We cannot be okay with sin in our lives I think one of the main things with this is we cannot be okay with sin in our lives We have to repent of it. We have to bring it to God for forgiveness Um, And maybe you're here maybe even practicing sin um, and today is the day to repent and confess. And that simple is like, God, repentance means you are fully devoting your heart to God. Like maybe you're going this way and you're turning your heart back to God. And maybe you need to do that and repent, but maybe you're maybe you're not practicing sin and maybe you just want to give your heart to God. Either way, we want to give you guys an opportunity to come up here and kneel at the altar during this last song and just ask uh, confess to God that no matter what, you want to pursue righteousness above all else. You want to forsake practicing sin. You do not want to do that. And we just want to humble ourselves and offer the altar up here um, in repentance. As our way of saying, God, we give our hearts to you. And we give our soul to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. And God, we just pray that we are a church that kneels and humbles ourselves before you every day. And God, we just get on our knees before you and just tell you how good you are and that we want to follow you above all else. So God, have your way in this church body and we give our hearts to you in Jesus' name.